Welcome to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. We are so glad that you're with us this morning. Please take your Bibles and uh, turn to John chapter 15 today. The secret of the abiding life. John chapter 15, and by the way, we have Bibles available at doorways as you come in. There are also some Bibles underneath the uh, seats that you're sitting on, and you're able to find one of those Bibles. And sometimes uh, I'll announce actually a page number as well as give you a text so that if you're new to the Bible, you can be able to find out uh, where that text is by looking at the page number. They'll be on the screens as well. So the secret of the abiding life, John chapter 15, that's along about page 1079 in that hardback version of the Bible. Isn't it interesting that John chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, all three of these chapters are three chapters where Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit. But John chapter 15 is very different from 14 and 16 in that it is an entire illustration that gives us details about what the indwelling Holy Spirit is all about. And in this illustration, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. We're going to be looking at that today. And I believe it's the secret to the abiding life. Let's stand together, if you would, as I read the first 15 or the first 11 verses, rather, of John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Imagine the disciples having heard everything that Jesus said in John 14. Imagine them being together in a room as he taught them. And now he's going to really take it outside that room to the real elements of life. He says this in verse 1. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And this is a command that's repeated throughout this text. It's the only command, by the way, in these first 11 verses. Everything else is a result of this command. He said in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Man, that's a great target to move towards, right? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That's just where all all this is headed that way as we look at the secret of the abiding life. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you illuminate this text today by your Holy Spirit so that we might know not only the theology of the Holy Spirit, but actually how you literally dwell inside of each believer in Jesus. Father, today, 
show us what we need to know about this life, this incredible life you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I love this text because this text is really going to get us to the place where we understand we are either abiding in him or we are not. And as we walk through this uh, text today, you'll see that I, I believe that this text refers to the average Christian life, just the regular, ongoing Christian life. Not some uh, above and beyond kind of description of the Christian life, but the way the Christian life is supposed to be lived out. And when we look at this today and what abiding actually means, I believe we're going to be able to tell whether we're simply acquainted with the historical Jesus, as in we've read the book and seen the movie, or whether we really have a relationship with him where his life is flowing in us and through us. That's a pretty important question to answer today. So every time you hear the word abide, I need you to know exactly what the word abide means. It's a very simple word. The word itself means to remain. That's it, to remain where you are, to remain or to dwell. It's often used as an abode, as remaining in an abode, or to stay united with someone in heart and will. So this is the definition of that most frequently used word in John chapter 15, which is the word abide. It's synonymous with salvation. It's it's uh, the idea behind that is that we're believing and accepting and trusting Christ. And so that believing, accepting, trusting Christ produces an abiding relationship through which everything he's going to do in our lives comes through that relationship. It's being vitally connected with Christ. I've told you the story when I was a kid that my, my dad and I had this conversation. He was, he was a lot smarter than I was. Of course, at 10 years of age, you think you're as smart as your dad is. And certainly at 16, you think you're smarter than him. But at, at 10 years of age, I wanted a mini bike really, really bad. That was the thing when I was growing up in small town Oklahoma. You needed a mini bike. And at 10 years of age, I wanted one of those. He said, well, I can help you raise the money to buy a mini bike. And uh, we had 10 acres of land outside of town. Uh, we lived in town, but we'd go out and, and do things on that 10 acres. And he said, you can plant pecan trees, and when those pecans come to fruition, then you can sell those pecans and buy a mini bike. Now, we didn't have Google back then. I didn't know it took three to five years for pecan trees to have anything at all on them. And, uh, but he was smarter than I was, and he gave me a plan. I planted 100 pecan trees. Now I learned incredible lessons about how to grow those pecan trees in a drought-filled series of summers in Oklahoma where I would spend the night with a water hose moving them from one tree to the next and so forth. But one of the things I learned is that you can actually take a branch off of one tree and graft it onto the other and it will actually take on life. It's really amazing. It's kind of like peeling back the bark of one, peeling back the bark of the tree you're going to plant it on and putting it on the tree, bringing the bark back up and wrapping it around it and putting duct tape, yes, duct tape around a pecan tree, continue to water and take care of it before long, the branch will have the same life that the trunk of the tree has. Incredible. In a few years, it's a massive branch and it actually bears fruit. That's the idea behind this illustration of the vine and the branches. The idea is the branch doesn't really have anything in and of itself, but it gets its life from the trunk of the tree itself. And I can remember grafting those branches on and wondering, will they remain? Will they take on life? 
Jesus is giving this illustration personified. It says, basically, will that person stay connected with Jesus? And if they will stay connected with Jesus, if they will be connected and stay connected with Jesus, if they will abide in Jesus, all kinds of fruit comes out of that relationship. But if they do not connect with Jesus, there is no fruit to come. Now, as we walk into this text, it's important to answer a couple of questions that some of the more difficult parts of John 15 pose for us. For example, if you look down to verse 6 of John chapter 15, it says this, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And immediately this causes us some kind of a uh, concern and maybe a little bit of fear. We're asking, what is Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus is not saying that Christians can lose their salvation. That's not what this text is about. He's also not talking about Christians that might be able to lose their reward. He is reminding them that everyone who's part of the crowd is not really connected to Christ. And that was true of this crowd. Judas was not connected to Christ. The other disciples were connected to Christ. He's basically saying a branch that is not tied in to the vine, not tied into the trunk, has no life in and of itself at all. And if you go back and read John's further commentary in the epistles, you'll see he says that over and over again. In fact, it might be really helpful for you today to have the book of John opened on one hand, and then on the other hand, open up 1 John, because John is giving us commentary on some of the things he says in the book of John that Jesus said. So let me read to you 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that they'd be shown that they're not all of us. I brought a branch today. I'm going to have a branch up here on the stage for just a few moments. Now, some of you analytical types are going to immediately say, okay, that's not really a vine. It's not really something that... That has grapes on or ever did. In fact, I think it's kind of humorous. I, I, I live not far from Grapevine, Texas, and everywhere I went in Grapevine yesterday, I could not find a grapevine in Grapevine. <laughs> not sure how that works, but several nurseries turned me away and said, no, you need to plant seeds. And I said, uh, tomorrow's the message, so I don't have time. <laughs> I've already learned that lesson. But I do have a branch. And I want you to notice for just a few moments that this branch is broken off from a tree. And so naturally, this branch doesn't have any life left in it. Now, it kind of looks like it has life right now. It still has the leaves. They're still green. It looks like if I were able to tape it onto a tree, it might, might uh, kind of look like it's alive for a while. But it's so broken off that unless it's grafted back in, it will have no life in and of itself. And the illustration Jesus is giving us is very, very important here when he talks about that in verse 6. Basically, unless you become connected to Jesus, you cannot ever have the real fruit that Jesus calls us to have because you are separated from his life, and his life is what gives us that fruit. You can't bear spiritual fruit. You can't have true joy, not the joy he intends for you to have. You can't understand love the way he wanted you to understand love. You can't have any of those things unless you are vitally connected to the vine who is Jesus Christ. Remember, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. 
for apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to leave this branch up here today because I want you to keep looking at this branch and I want you to realize this branch will never have life and neither will we if we're not connected badly with Jesus Christ. Man, keep that foremost in your mind because that connection is everything about this illustration that we have here. In John 15, we learn how we abide and what it looks like when we do. And again, the only command in these 11 verses is the command to abide. Everything else that comes out of this text comes because you abide. You bear fruit because you abide. You love because you abide. You have joy because you abide. Everything else comes out of this one command. And three times Jesus uses the word abide in connection with a specific way we do that. And that's the secret to the abiding life. There's three things. Number one, abide in him. Abide in him. Obviously, this is the big one. Abiding in Jesus Christ himself. Back to verse four. Abide in me and I in you. If you read John 14, you have all this great, great theological teaching where Jesus is introducing the Holy Spirit to his disciples. If you jump over to John chapter 16, more of the same and even more practical application. But if you really want to know the secret of what the indwelling Holy Spirit really does in our life, it's found right here. Abide in me and I in you. Abide is his picture. Abide is his illustration. The vine and the branches help us understand what it means for the Holy Spirit to be inside of us, dwelling in us, living in us, and the power that that brings us and the life that that brings us. That's the illustration Jesus uses for us to understand it. And I absolutely love it. Everywhere you look, there are branches and vines and trees and trunks. And everywhere you look, there's green and life. And you understand, oh, all these things are connected. It's part of our everyday life. It should be part of our everyday spiritual life as well. Abide in him. Now, we'll jump back to John 14 and look at something that Jesus said. John 14, verse 20. He said, in that day, that is in the time, in the future when he gives the Holy Spirit. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. The future event he's pointing to was his departure and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That's Acts chapter 2. Now for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ post-Pentecost, when you and I invite Christ into our lives, we don't have to wait for some subsequent experience to receive the Holy Spirit. We are born again, that is, born of the Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit of God in our life from the moment we surrender our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We sometimes use these terms like accepting Jesus into your life or receiving Jesus into your life. What we really mean is you trust and believe in what Jesus did on the cross and you receive the spirit of Jesus into your life. You receive the spirit of the living God in your life. So once you come to faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus today, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of your life. And you should be attached to this vine, and he is in you. In chapter 14, verse 23, he said it this way. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Man, this is strong stuff. This is the key, the secret of the believer. We will make our abode with him. 
Now, I want you to notice in this illustration, something very interesting is that this is not a two-way street. The branch doesn't give anything to the vine. The branch only receives from the vine. This branch didn't give anything to the trunk of the tree it came off of. Only the trunk gave life to it. And in this illustration, it's important for us to realize we do not contribute to who Christ is or to who God is. We don't make God better by being present with him because God is not going to be made any bigger than he already is. He's already awesome, almighty God. Amen. But all that we receive is what he gives to us from abiding in him. It's a one-way thing. He gives us love. He gives us power. He gives us wisdom by our abiding in him. So we abide in him. Someone defined the idea of abiding and said it like this. They said, abiding basically is where we just simply trust. We simply have confidence. We simply savor that interaction with him we receive from him i've summarized it this way abiding is dependence upon christ instead of ourselves have you ever noticed how hard it is to live the christian life i mean fully live the christian life you ever notice that if you were being transparent and i was saying on a scale of one to ten how easy is it for you to live the christian life and 10 being the greatest effort and 1 being the easiest, you're probably going to say it's a 10 on a scale of 10. That's how difficult it is to live the Christian life. And you'd be correct. It's not easy to live the Christian life. But would it surprise you for me to say to you, Jesus never said you could live the Christian life. He never said you could. But he said he always would. He said he always would live that life through you. Therefore, we need to be really connected with him for him to live that life through us. It's not about what we do apart from Jesus. It's what we do because we are in Jesus Christ. So abiding is dependence upon Christ instead of ourselves. It's realizing and knowing that we can't do it on our own. And then there's a surprising statement that, that I, I love because it reminds me of where I, I really need to be in my mind, about living the life he's called me to live. It's in verse 5. Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And then there's this last line. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me suggest to you that that's one of the greatest prayers or greatest verses you can pray back to him. Lord, I need your help today because I know that apart from you, I can do nothing. Lord, I need your wisdom today because apart from you, I can do nothing. Lord, I need you to give me the joy that I don't seem to have right now because apart from you, I can do nothing. Amen. I need your wisdom. I need your love. I need, I need your, your insights because apart from you, I can do nothing. I really can't. I'm just like every other human being apart from abiding in the power of the Holy Spirit, abiding in Jesus Christ. There's such a huge emphasis on this kind of connection. Abiding is paying attention to the connection we have with Jesus instead of trying to do things by our own effort because you know you can't and you know he can. That's what abiding is. That's what abiding is. It's paying attention to the relationship that we have with him because we know we need him. Because we know we need him. Abiding. See, if you stay focused on the connection... The sap will flow and the fruit will come. The sap will flow and the fruit will come 
and you'll see your life change. Not because you're trying hard to make it change, but because you're vitally connected with the one who can change your life. And you may even be surprised by the character that comes out of your life, the fruit that shows up because you're connected with Christ. You'll be able to see love and kindness that come out of you when it wouldn't normally naturally come out of you. You'll see he takes the edge off of anger and the anxiety out of stressful situations. He takes the hate out of disagreement and division. He influences the fruit that comes out of us. If you will pay attention to the connection you have, the relation you have with Jesus Christ, all kinds of fruit will come out of you. But if you don't pay attention to it, you can do nothing. Abide in him. That's the umbrella over everything else he's going to say today. So let me just pause for just a second and say, are you connected to him? And by connected to him, I don't, I don't mean just one moment in time where you said, yes, I trust Jesus. I'll pray and ask him to forgive me of sin. But are you connected to him relationally? Often for many people, it begins with a moment like that. And then they grow into this regular ongoing relationship because they've trusted him. But... It's not just the moment of praying and accepting what he did on the cross. It's a matter of entering into that relationship, that connect. Are you connected to him? Are you abiding in him? Do you have a reliance on the Lord who brings all this good fruit? And apart from him, you can do nothing. Abide in him, Jesus says. That's the first secret. The second, you'll find he attaches the word abide with something else. Abide in his word. Abide in his word. Look at verse 7 for a second. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You know, many of us really get, zero, we get to zeroing in on that prayer promise. Okay, whatever I ask in his name, he'll do for me. But really the emphasis is that first line. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I promise you, when you abide in Jesus and his words abide in your life, you're going to be asking different things than you would otherwise. That's an important part of our prayer life is to know they're flavored by the relationship we have with Christ and by the word in our life. But why did Jesus make such a direct connection between abide in me and my words abide in you? I'm going to try to explain that over this next couple of minutes because it's so important. Imagine having the most wise and powerful person in the world with you, yet ignoring what they say. You're facing a massive decision about your health, or you're facing a big challenge about something in your financial future, or you have some challenges in your relationships, and you know what you want to do, but you have someone right there with you who knows everything about relationships, everything about the future, everything about your own life, what are you going to do? Listen to them or are you going to listen to you? And if they're saying to you, don't do what you would normally do, don't do what you want to do, but do this instead, go this way. If you trust them, if you know they're wise, if you understand that you don't know everything, then you'll yield to them and do what they say to do instead of your natural inclination. That's about the closest I can get to describing what it means to abide in the Word. And it's tough to do sometimes because we're talking about things that are bigger than just finances or health or relationships. Sometimes things that really rock us to the core, fears and panic and heartbreak and everything else is going on inside of there. But here's what I want you to see today. 
It is your response to what the Word says about your life that reveals the level of your abiding with Him. How you respond to His Word is everything. Abide in my words. Now, John also comments in 1 John chapter 2 about what it's like not to abide. And here's what he says in 1 John 2, 4. He says, the one who says, I've come to know him, and yet does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. In other words, consistent with his word. So our response to his word is incredibly revealing. Here's what it ought to look like. It ought to look like this. Over time, you become more and more dependent upon his word than you do your opinion. Over time, it becomes our go-to to see what the scripture says about a thing instead of think, this is what I want to do. This is what I feel like I ought to do. Let me describe it again, this time on the screen. Abiding in the Word means that we allow His Word to fill our minds, to direct our wills, and transform our emotions and affections. It gives shape to our lives, but it only happens if we're connected to His Word constantly, more so than another person with us. It's like being present all the time, and it's like you allow it to just absolutely fill your mind and life. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this the other day, and I really was coming up uh, with blanks. And then something happened to me. Uh, yesterday, my iPhone broke, and, uh, and it didn't work anymore. People couldn't hear my voice anymore, and, and uh, the camera broke as well. The whole backside of the, of the, of the uh, phone broke. And so I went to four different places before they finally said, go back to the Apple Store. So I'm in the Apple Store yesterday afternoon, uh, not far from here. And uh, they said, well, we can fix your phone, but we kind of have to overhaul it. And uh, it'll be three hours before you get it back. Do you want us to do that or do you want to mail it off for about two weeks? And I said, three hours. We'll do three hours. <laughs> so they took my phone. And before they took it away, I was able to text my wife and say, I I'm, I'm up at this place uh, not far from us. And I said, I'm going to be here for three hours and I'll be out of contact with you and everything else. Um, and she said, great, where do we meet for dinner? And I said, okay, meet me at this restaurant not far from the Apple store. And I texted all that on my watch, and I said, now, this is the final word. I can't communicate with you anymore after this. Show up at this time. So we make the agreement. I went to the restaurant, and at that moment, I was completely out of communication with the world because my phone was broken. And I waited in that restaurant for the 30 or 40 minutes it took for her to get there, whatever that amount of time was. And while I was sitting there, I realized I am completely disconnected from everything I'm comfortable with knowing. <laughs> I'm sitting there drinking my tea and water. I don't know anybody in the restaurant. I can't check the weather, even though I know what it is outside. <laughs> I can't check football scores. On Saturday afternoon, there's some important information I need to have. I can't tell what's going on in the world. I can't look at all the pictures I've taken while I'm waiting for my wife to show up. I can't do anything I normally do, and I'm thinking, I do not know how to live without my phone. I've come to that conclusion. <laughs> I don't know how to live without my phone. I can't Google anything. I can't look at YouTube videos. I can't check my Facebook friends. I can't do anything without this phone. Now, at first I was embarrassed, and then I thought, you know, what a perfect picture of what we need to be in the sense of connected to Jesus. Amen. We really need to be that connected to Jesus. 
that abiding in his word and abiding in him means that we're more connected to him than we are anything else in our lives, even our phones, even our phones. Moment by moment, we need to be checking in with him. Moment by moment, we need to be remembering what he said in his word. Every decision we need to make, we need to make based on what we know he's already said to us. We need to be at least as connected to the word as all the other important things in our lives. And it's so incredibly important that we do, be, do that. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, John said it like this. He said, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us that the spirit whom he has given us is present. This is why thousands of believers gather, hundreds of thousands, even millions of believers gather every Sunday to see under the teaching of the word. It's why we listen to podcasts and read Christian books. It's why we have devotionals in quiet time. It's why we pray and read the word. It's why we want you in a small group talking about the truth of God's word because that's the only way you can really abide in the word by having it around you all the time. And it doesn't mean you don't have the presence to know how to live in this life. It means you do have the spiritual presence to know how to live in this life. We want you to abide in his word and abide in him because that's the key to life. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Richly. Let it be overflowing in your life. And in time, you learn this dependency. You learn to rely on being connected to the word. We learn to discover that all the earthly wisdom out there and all my natural wisdom, just it's not enough. In fact, it will steer me wrong often. I need to be connected to his word. And that's progress. Put another way, you cannot bear fruit if you're more connected with other people and other things than you are with this vine. You can't bear his fruit. You can't bear his life unless you're connected to him. So abide in him. Abide in his word. Then the third one, you'll love. You'll love. The third time he uses the word abide, he says, abide in his love. Abides in his love. It says this in verse 9, Just as the Father hath loved me, I have also loved you. And let this sink in. Abide in my love. I want to remind you this is not a two-way thing. It's a one-way thing. The branch is receiving everything from the vine. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to continually feel and understand and know and believe the flow of my love into you and through you. I want you to never have a moment where you don't know that I love you. I want you to remain in my love. And the stress is not for Jesus saying that he wants us to love him, but the stress of the whole conversation is I want you to let me love you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. Don't disconnect from my love. Abiding in love means you come to know and believe that God truly loves you. Now, I read those words in the English, and I think that's, that doesn't really communicate as powerfully as I want them to communicate because knowing something and believing something are kind of tepid words in the English. But I, if, you, if you take a step back and just let those two words sink in for just a moment, to know experientially, to know by way of experience, to fully know and grasp that he loves you is a really, really big deal. 
And they can come in one experience or can come over a variety of experiences. And gradually you become convinced and really believe, believe to the point where you're absolutely convinced that God absolutely loves you even when you're at your worst. For you to know and believe that is part of what it means to abide in my life. Now, why do I know that? Because John says it in 1 John chapter 4. Here's what he says. He said, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Why is this such a difference maker? Why is this such a big deal? Why does it even matter? It matters because if I actually believe that God loves me and I realize the depths of his commitment to me, I have no reason to distrust him, no reason to run from him, no reason to disconnect from him at all. I have come to believe that his word for me reflects the best interests that he has in my life. And even in the toughest of choices, in the toughest of times, I can have confidence he'll never leave me. He'll never abandon me. He'll never desert me because he loves me. Amen. We say this all the time in John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And now Jesus is the one who gave his life, is saying to those disciples, abide in that love, remain in that love, let it keep flowing into your life. Amen. It radically changes how you live life. John, again in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. That's a pretty big deal. When I know that I'm loved by God, I don't have to fear him. He has done everything necessary to remove the barriers that I put up between myself and him. And he's cleared them out of the way. And I can have a real relationship with him. I can really stay connected, stay attached to him Amen. because he loves me. Beyond that, when I abide in his love and I'm confident in it, loving others is risk-free. Did you know you can love someone and not really risk anything? Because even if they reject you, you will never be rejected by God. Hallelujah. You'll always be loved. You'll always be valued. You'll always be the apple of his eye. You'll always be one that he comes to and helps in every way. When we love people, we're afraid of being rejected, but all that fear should go out of the window because you are fully loved in God. Get it this way. No human being on this planet can possibly love you to that degree. No human being can possibly fulfill your need to be loved like God fulfills that need to be loved. That means we can love irregular people who may throw stuff back at us, who may not treat us well. We can love them anyway because we've been loved by God. And in 1 John, John goes on to say, brothers, we love because he first loved us. And that's how we love unconditionally. Do you have any irregular people in your life that sometimes you struggle to love? Anybody have irregular people? Some of you don't want to raise your hand because you're sitting next to the irregular person that's hard to love. That's got to be why. Got a lot of glances being exchanged in this room. It's threefold secret. Abide in Jesus. Abide in his word. Abide in his love. I don't have time to talk about all, all the great results of all this, but let me summarize them really quickly. 
This passage says that when you abide, you bear much fruit and prove to be his disciples. That's where the fruit comes from. I, I could give you 10 steps to bearing more fruit, but if they, didn't, if they didn't include as the top step abiding in Jesus, it would never happen. When you abide, you bear much fruit. And then when you abide, you find the love and joy that's found nowhere else. Hallelujah. Nowhere else but him. I was watching a guy talk about this subject recently, and he posed the question. He goes, how is it that the Son of God seems to be begging his disciples to, to stay, to remain, to abide? Why would Jesus be saying it like that? Because he says it so many different times, and, and the plea is very obvious. And the, if you were to, to, to use your own language about abiding, it would be, remain attached to me. Let my word dwell in you. Let my love flow through you. Stay connected to me. I'm strong enough to help you with everything. You're not that strong. I'm able to love more than you can love me. Uh, you're not by yourself able to love other people. Abide in me. Stay in me. Why is he, why is he pleading with the disciples to do that? And the reason he's pleading with them is because it's the only way to live the life he calls us to live. Apart from that, we're this. No hope, no promise, no future, no joy, no love, none of that. Abide in me and I in you. That's his invitation to you today. There may be today that you've never come to the place where you've ever trusted Jesus for what he did on the cross. That's the starting point for abiding. Abiding means coming to him in the first place. He has done everything necessary for you to come to him and put your faith and trust in him. About the gospel, the good news is Jesus died, was buried, rose again the third day, and as a result of the resurrection, offers the life that he alone can give. He overcame death. He overcame sin. And in his resurrected state, he said, I've come to give you life. It's accepting that. That's the beginning of abiding. That's when you start that grafting in. And then day by day, week by week, week, you begin to depend and abide and remain. Maybe today you've never, you've realized you've never made that decision. Today at the end of our service, I invite you to stop by a decision station. There are two different places on the way out. There'll be counselors there that would love to talk to you. My first invitation to you today is stop on the way out and say, I need to know what it means to start this relationship, and we can help you. My second invite is to come out of the worship center into our guest reception room. I would love to visit with you personally. Kind of hard to do that in a big room. I'd love to do that personally. For about 10 minutes, we have a guest reception time together. Uh, out the center exit doors, just across the hallway, a glass tin room is there. My third invite is, when you come next week, bring someone with you. We have invite cards out there. We're looking at the second half of John 15, more about what it means to abide in Christ. And I want to encourage you to bring someone with you. People need to hear what this is all about. Would you stand with me as we close out in prayer today? Father, thank you so much that you have done everything necessary for us to bear fruit, to experience love and joy. And Father, today I want to ask you that you allow each of us that needs to stop stop our movement from here to anywhere else until we settle the question of our salvation. Have we made this decision? Have we begun abiding? Father, help us to have the courage to ask those questions and to get those answers. 
And Father, as we leave today, I pray that we will enter into this abiding, remaining connection with you so that we can see you live through us in a way only you can. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for inviting us, even pleading with us to do this. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.